from MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. So today we're stepping out of the house to enjoy the great backyard. Having your own bird feeder is a great way to enjoy nature from the comfort of your own home. We have Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited here today to help you get started or maybe improve your existing bird feeder and make your home the best birdscape yard in the neighborhood. Dr. Major's here ready to take some pet questions. So join the conversation with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is 1-877-672-7464 or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. And Libby Highfield is retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today we're stepping out of the house to enjoy the joys of your backyard. Having your own bird feeder is a great way to enjoy nature from the comfort of your own home. So today we're talking to Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited. She's here to help us get started or maybe improve existing bird feeders and make your home the best birdscaped yard in your neighborhood. Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions as well. To join the conversation, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. Our phone number is one 877 Six seven two seven four six four. You can always email the show animals at mpbonline.org. And a reminder that uh, Creature Comforts repeats every Saturday morning at 6, so two chances to hear the show each week. Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. Doing great. Good, Good morning. Uh, Libby, you've got a couple of things uh, going on at the museum you wanted yeah, to tell us about. Yeah, the Natural Science Museum wanted us to talk about a couple of big Saturdays. Uh, of course, right now they've got the dinosaur exhibit, Be the Dinosaur, so that'll be fun this coming weekend. And then on the 23rd is the Mississippi Science Fest, and it's the four museums over there in the the museum, LaFleur's Museum District, Natural Science Museum, Children's Museum, Sports Hall of Fame, and Agriculture Museum, and they're all doing all kinds of science activities all day long. Lots of special guests coming in to do science. Um, it would really be a fun thing to do with your kids, and um, I think adults would probably enjoy it, too. Mm-hmm. And then on the next weekend, then that Saturday, September the 30th, from 10 until 2, uh, the Museum of Natural Science is uh, doing a joint program with the Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities. They're calling it a family picnic, and for $10, you get admission to the museum and lunch that's that'll be catered in from Chimneyville Smokehouse. Uh-huh. They want you to go online in advance and buy that $10 ticket, if at all possible so they you know have a good head count for food but there probably will be some tickets at the door if you know if you're last minute but it'd be it's quicker to get in anyway and you'll be assured of your lunch if you go ahead and go online for ten dollars even if you do it that morning okay um it's an interesting go ahead yeah i was just gonna say the archery and laser shoot and um 
Lula the dinosaur showing up too. All right. She has a sweet name, but you, you you've seen her face, haven't you? <laughs> she she's uh, the Velociraptor. She's she's pretty awesome. So if someone's interested, uh, where would they go to find out more information about things going on at the museum? Easiest thing to do would be to Google it and. Uh, Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, or um, go to the Facebook page. All right. Very good. Um, uh, Java, our producer found an interesting note in the news, and this is is good news, uh, that a lot of shelters and even some private homes are donating space for pets displaced by the recent hurricanes, uh, Harvey and Irma. So it's good to see uh, that in the time of need, and not only are people taking care of other people, but are also doing things to take care of other people's pets, because our pets are such an important part of our lives. And I think when tragedy strikes like that, uh, the unconditional love that we get from our pets is especially important. So good news uh, to hear that folks are, are concerned about our four-legged friends uh, in the aftermath of these horrible hurricanes, uh, as well as, I said, making sure that other folks are doing well as well. So I have three of those evacuee <laughs> dogs and two cats at my house right now. Yeah, You were telling us it, it's been quite an, quite an adventure there. A, so. Yeah, it's been exciting. Yeah. Uh, our guest today is Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited. Kathy, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. All right, so tell us what a, uh, what is Wild Birds Unlimited? How did it get started? Those sorts of things. We are a specialty nature shop, and we try to help people enjoy their backyards from just all the birds that come in, how to increase your variety of birds, and how to help make each person happy with what they have coming into their yard so we do bird feeders and we have water products and then we have wind chimes and things just if you don't want to feed the birds you can still hear the lovely wind chimes in your yard so great gifts all kinds of wonderful have great bird houses and bird feeders that are uh, that are attractive and also, that seem to work really very well. functional products. Yeah. We do um, we do pride ourselves in having products that are easy to use, last a lifetime, and easy to clean. Easy to clean. Which is something True. I like. I always worry about keeping all my feeders clean. <laughs> We're going to be visiting with Kathy throughout the hour. So, if you have a question about uh, getting started with a bird feeder or gussying up your backyard or um, improving it, let us know. Give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven. MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can also email the show animals at mpbonline.org. And Dr. Major here ready to take any kind of pet question that you have for us this morning. Uh, so, Kathy, let's start with someone uh, who probably doesn't have a bird feeder in their yard. What is something, uh, some beginning steps, some easy things for folks to do that might uh, begin to attract uh, some birds uh, for them to enjoy? When someone comes in the store, normally I recommend just one good bird feeder. Something that's going to last, be easy to clean, easy to feel, and won't be a lot of maintenance. And a lot of our bird feeders do have lifetime warranties, so we repair them if the squirrels chew them up or things like that happen. But if you'll get a really one good quality bird feeder and then really be selective in what bird food you put in it, then that's the start of a lot of enjoyment. And um, bird food, you know, you want to get something that's fresh. We have everything from blends that don't have shells. So if you're feeding in a yard area that you don't want meth, that's probably our most popular bird food. But then we have a lot of other varieties also. Um, Once you get that, get you a good book so you can identify what's coming in your yard. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and then from there the possibilities are endless. <laughs> That's what I tell people. You can enjoy it a little bit or a lot. And you can enjoy it with one bird feeder, and you can certainly enjoy it with ten bird feeders. Mm-hmm. I'm somewhere in between myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the more variety you put in your yard, the more birds you will have. So, um, you know, once you get that one good, stable bird feeder, then you can add other things. So we talked a bit about, you know, what makes a good bird feeder from our point of view, you know, easy to clean, um, inexpensive, well-built, that sort of thing. Um, How about from the bird's point of view? What are birds looking for when they come to a feeder? You know, um, some birds like to feed above ground and some like to feed on the ground. So it depends on what you're trying to attract. Usually we start with one above the ground. Because you will get some bird seed underneath the feeder. So the birds that feed on the ground will be happy to. Um, But like on a tube type feeder, if you do not put a tray on it, then you're catering to the smaller birds. But if you want the bigger birds, doves, cardinals, blue jays, you'll need to put something with a bigger surface for them to sit on. Uh, What about bird houses? Do you sell those at, uh, at your place? We do. We sell mostly functional bird houses. People like decorative, but decorative are not that easy to clean. You want something that you can open up, monitor the nesting process, clean out at the end of the season, because most birds around here will nest two, three, sometimes four times in a season. Mm -hmm. And bluebirds are known to go in a house in the wintertime for roosting for warmth. And so I guess when it comes to bird, uh, bird houses, though, uh, different birds are attracted to different kinds of situations? True. Um, some birds like to nest in the open areas. Some like more wooded areas. Then like the planetary warbler likes more swampy areas. Um, so what we do at Wild Birds Unlimited is we talk to our customer, and we try to figure out what it is they want to, to attract, and if that's even possible because of their yard. You know, where they live, because some people just have to have bluebirds, but they don't live in an area that they can have bluebirds, <laughs> that they just won't come because it's too wooded. So we do a lot of talking education. Um, bird houses do. They come in different sizes with different hole sizes, where you mount them, how you mount them. You know, it sounds real complicated, but it's really not. Once you get a few basics down. Yeah, and it sounds like the best thing to do if someone would would go to a store like yours and, as you said, probably uh, give you an idea of what their backyard looks like and, again, what they're trying to uh, accomplish. And then you can help them pick out what the best best bird feeders, the best bird houses, those sorts of things. Right. All of our – the people that work at Wild Birds Unlimited, we all feed the birds, and we love the birds. So we all have firsthand knowledge, what works, what doesn't work. Um, how you might can tweak it to make you a little bit happier. So we're all about the education. Uh, Let's do this. Take a quick break. Uh, When we get back, we'll continue our discussion. We're visiting today on Creature Comforts with Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited, learning about how to fix up your backyard to make it a better, uh, attractive way. You can enjoy the birds, and also I'm sure the birds appreciate a place to stop and grab a bite to eat and possibly uh, rest in a birdhouse. Dr. Major here ready to take some pet questions as well. So give us a call. The phone lines are open. It's 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-672. 7464 or email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. If- 
If you're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio, we appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, the retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited, and we're talking about bird feeders, uh, ways to attract birds to your backyard, and also ways to make your backyard more attractive, uh, both for you and for the birds. So we've got some open phone lines, so give us a call if you have a question about getting started or improving your backyard. Uh, The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show animals at mpbonline.org. Also, if you have a pet question, Dr. Major here, ready to help you as well. Uh, so, Kathy, uh, when you set up uh, a uh, bird feeder, obviously it uh, gets, uh, benefits you. You get to see some birds come and feed. But obviously for the birds, it gives them a place to eat. Yes, it does. And I've, we've heard stories about uh, birds coming back to the same yard year after year. So <clears throat> if you establish these, it's a good, it's a good bet that maybe, uh, well, that there's going to be birds eating at them, I guess. Of course, Things environmental can affect it, the weather, but um, there are many times I've heard people say, especially with hummingbirds, that their hummingbird will come back to the exact same spot where their feeder was and they don't have the feeder out yet, so they know it's the same bird. Um, and then one place that I lived, we had a parakeet show up, and he came back year after year, so we know birds do come back to the same places. So... And then once you get birds, I think they tell their friends, <laughs> because once you get a few birds coming, then you have more birds show up. And I think just hearing the other bird species in your yard, it does grow over time. So, yeah, we put up a good bird feeder, and on the uh, bird Yelp, you get a good reputation of having a, a place <laughs> yes, to eat. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, sometimes it takes a while. You know, we've had those kind of calls mm-hmm. on line here, put up my bird feeder, and nothing's there yet. Right. Sometimes you do have to wait a little while. Well, we've had people that will put up a feeder and call the next day and say, I don't have any birds at my bird feeder. <laughs> and we try to explain that birds are very cautious, and they're, they have to check things out. So sometimes it'll take a couple of days, and it can take weeks or months. I think my mom had the record on it took her six months before she ever got a bird. Hmm. When I moved here and bought the store, she um, it took her six months. But she didn't give up. She kept putting fresh bird seed. She'd ask me all the time. Oh. And I'd say, just don't give up. Keep putting fresh seed in. And eventually she had blue birds and everything. Great. Much better birds than I had. Great, great. <laughs> oh, and now you need to watch and be sure that you don't have a, a, a kitty cat monitoring the feeder they're either going to keep them away or they're going to gobble down the the guests that's one of the problems that we deal with many days we have people that have their own cats that they let outside or they have neighboring cats that just come and visit you know we try to get the bird feeders as high as possible Um, there are times that we suggest putting like chicken wire underneath the spot where your bird feeders are because cats really don't like that on their paws Mm -hmm. And that helps. And then there's sometimes that we just have to say, for the good of the birds, you're going to have to probably not feed. You know, there have been a few customers that just really had a hard time solving that problem. So, you know, we we try to advise what's best. If your cat brings you a trophy, 
you need to try not to try not to put the birds in that situation again. I know. Right. So, like I said, sometimes you can do some things to help with the situation, and then sometimes it's just best if you don't. Mm-hmm. Got some callers on the line to get to. Let's begin in Osaka. Kathleen is on the line. Good morning, Kathleen. Oh, you've got one of my favorite topics. I just love watching the birds. I've got a couple of crazy little things that uh, I'd like to say. When you take your lint out of the dryer, just use a plastic bag or a paper towel sometimes, you know, take it out. I save mine. And when it's hummingbird season, I kind of stash it on like a little fence I have. And they've gotten to know it's there, and they'll, they'll pick up the lint. And one time I had new burgundy towels, you know, how they have a lot of lint. And I had a guy working for me. He said, Miss Kathleen, look, this bird built a red nest. And I went over, and he had used all the lint from my towels for a hummingbird nest. But for all you sewers, you can save your little scraps. And if you have, like, a um, bag that you had onions or potatoes in, the mesh bags, you can tack the bottom with a little string around the tree or a post and tack the top the same way. And you put the little strings or pieces of fabric or uh, dust uh, lint from the dryer in there. And just kind of like you have to have it under the eaves of a house or something somewhat chilled so it doesn't get wet. They will come and pick some out and carry it to their little abode. They certainly will. And there's many things you can put in there like... Um, dog hair, cat hair, human hair, strings. If you have yarn, just cut really? four-inch strings. I didn't know that about the hair. Yes, you can put that in there, too. A, a good variety because certain birds only like certain types of nesting <laughs> material. So the more variety you put in there, the more different birds that they'll pick out different well, things. Well, I have a lot of cats that sit on this one chest by a window. And yesterday they made the limit. Seven of them were sitting up there. And I was wondering, <laughs> why do they do that? They've got all these other windows. There was a telephone line that goes from the house to a pole, and all the birdies like to rest on the telephone line. You would have thought that they were at a tennis match, watching <laughs> their little faces back and forth, trying to follow the birds. Oh God! I enjoy this so much. Thank y'all. All right, I hope you enjoy it. Good, uh, good suggestions, Kathleen. Thanks for the call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we're going to Cleveland. Bruce has called in today. Good morning, Bruce. Go ahead. Hey, how y'all doing? Good. Um, this, this is so interesting. I have two things, and then I'll hang up and listen. Okay. Uh, the first one I was going to ask, <clears throat> excuse me, about hummingbirds. How much longer are they going to be here? When do they come back? And then the second thing, and, you know, talk about hummingbirds, because uh, my sister-in-law has five or six feeders, and, I mean, they are something to watch. And then also, uh, could you talk about bathhouses? I'm interested in bathhouses. All right, uh, Bruce, thanks for your call. Uh, so, uh, Kathy, let's talk a little bit about uh, hummingbirds. We talked about those on the show a couple of weeks ago. Everyone enjoys them, and they are such amazing creatures. Uh, are they here year-round, or do they come and go? What's the story there? Most hummingbirds come and go. They come in in spring, and they leave in fall, and we are at the very end of migration right now. The last two weeks have been peak, and I've had more hummingbirds the last couple of weeks than I've had in years. So um, they are coming through and good good numbers but we also suggest to always leave a feeder up after you see the last hummingbirds because there are species that end up staying and they don't really know why they stay but if they stay they need to eat Mm -hmm. so leaving a feeder up doesn't make them stay it just helps them survive until they decide to migrate back in february or march wherever they came from so 
you know, the next week or two, we've, we will still see some migrating hummingbirds. And they say usually around November, if you see one, that's going to be one that's probably going to stay in our area. All right. And then uh, just a quick one. Um, it's easy to make your own uh, nectar for the hummingbirds? Absolutely. That's what we suggest is four parts water to one part sugar. All right. Uh, he also asked Without about... Any Without right. any red dye. Without any red dye. Very red important. Dye. Thank that's you, right. baby. Their nest is red because Kathleen uh, got them the, 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 the dryer lint there. Yeah, that's so. okay if it's a dryer. <laughs> you know, people think they need the red dye to um, attract them. But I read in a book one time, they can see red the size of a quarter of a mile away. Mm-hmm. And all hummingbird feeders have a little bit of red normally. So, And all flowers aren't red that they feed from. So you really don't need that extra. Uh, the other thing he had asked about were bat houses. Mm-hmm. Or do you sell those? And what were some tips about maybe mm-hmm. someone looking for one of those? We do sell bat houses. And um, people like to put up a bat house and think they're going to have bats immediately. But they're not like birds. They don't seek out a house just because... You know, you put up a new birdhouse, and a bird might show up that day to look in it and say, well, who's moving in the neighborhood? Bats don't do that. They um, will seek out housing when they are evicted from where they were housed, or they need more because they filled up their area. So, um, you know, you have to put it up and wait patiently. Sometimes the average, I think, is one to three years to get bats in a house. You know, there was one neighborhood over in Madison a couple years ago that a lady got bats up in her attic because... She had the louvers, and they went in there. Mm -hmm. So when she got them evicted, they moved to the next-door neighbors. So all the neighbors ended up having to put up bat houses, so they would move (laughs) into there instead of their attics. But um, if they need a place, they're going to find it. Mm -hmm. But if you do have a colony of bats in your, I know a a family that has them, and they enjoy them so much, watching them in the evenings come and go. So it is fun to try. And they're attractive little, there's one more thing you can add to your garden. Right. And we just suggest don't put the, the bat house right at a high traffic area because you do get the bat droppings. But, um, you know, just put it on the side or and the higher the better. I've traveled several places to see the bats come out. You know, the bridge in Austin and there's some caves out in Texas. And it's amazing to sit there and watch them come out of a bat house or something and then start feeding and just swarming. Uh, and I've always said that anything that eats a mosquito is, is okay in my book. That's and right. so that's for sure. Um, let's uh, back to the phone lines we go from Greenwood. Bill has called in today. Good morning, Bill. Hey, how are you? Doing? I got a question to come in. First thing, uh, I wanted to know uh, what do you feed uh, the uh, mockingbirds, the robins, Carolina wrens? They don't like any kind of seed. And concerning cats, I had a nice kitty, but. I decided to get rid of him because he was killing like three or four birds a day. He killed every brown thrasher that was coming into my yard. And so I just decided to get rid of him. So that's another thing you might think of. Well, I'm not anti-cat. I actually had two cats myself, which seems strange because I'm a bird person. But mine live very, very happily inside. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing. Keep the cats inside. But as far as mockingbirds and wrens, they are more insect and fruit eaters and i mentioned earlier that there was bird seed without a shell and Mm -hmm. we call it our no mess blend but it's all sunflower seeds peanuts and the wrens and mockingbirds will eat it their bills aren't formed to be able to shell the seeds but they will eat the seeds that are already shelled plus you have you have suet that they'll eat 
Mealworms is always an extra thing. <laughs> we, we could talk hours on mealworms, but um, if you can get a hold of live mealworms, sometimes you can get them to eat the dried mealworms, but there are a lot of things you can do, like mealworms, suet, no mess blend. Sometimes you can get them to eat some fruit. I've never been real successful at that because I can't keep it fresh. I'm kind of lazy about going out there every single day. <laughs> but um, So there are lots of things besides shelled seeds that you can get all of those birds to eat. Yeah, I found out that they will eat these little uh, hamburger, uh, game burger things that they make for the dogs. <laughs> well, my mockingbirds and wrens love shelled peanuts. If you can get some shelled peanuts, and there are feeders specifically that will hold those. Mine are all my peanut feeders are always empty from the mockingbirds and the wrens and the nut hatches and everything. They love shelled peanuts. All right, uh, Bill, thanks for your call. Good to hear from you this morning. We've got some open phone lines ready for your phone call on Creature Comforts. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Today we're visiting with Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited, talking about uh, making your backyard more attractive to birds. Dr. Major's here, ready to take some pet questions as well. So give us a call if you'd like to join in. We do have some open phone lines at this time. Um, so, uh, Kathy, you talked about the idea of a mix, and I guess that's always good to give a little bit of variety, but uh, do you need to consider the seasons, and is it something that uh, throughout the year uh, maybe that what you're putting out should be a little bit different? Mostly, no. If you're feeding a good blend with the seeds that the birds really like, you can feed that year-round. Mm-hmm. You can add and subtract a few things. Like We do sell more mealworms during the spring and summer. You've got thistle for the goldfinch that are... January, February, March. Um, but besides that, you can really feed a really good quality blend all year long. All right. Uh, we need to take another quick break. When we get back, we've got some phone calls coming in, and we've got some phone lines open for your call as well. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Call us at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We'll be back with more Creature Comforts after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Annabelle Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited, and we're talking about ways to make your backyard more attractive to you and to the birds that visit there as well. Uh, before we head back to the phone lines, Kathy, the one thing I'm wondering about is uh, do different types of birds get along well? In other words, would you have two different types of bird feeding at a feeder at the same time, or is it territorial? How does that work out? Yes and yes. (laughs) Um, Most of the time, you'll have multiple species of birds. I'll have cardinals, chickadees, titmice, blue jays. But then you might get a bully bird that thinks they want to rule the roost. And most of the time, those are, in my yard, they're the red-headed woodpeckers. And a mockingbird, maybe, is pretty territorial, usually. And there's one other, the brown thrasher. If he comes, he wants everybody gone. <laughs> so those are the ones in my yard. So they can commingle and be fine. But if you get one, that, a lot of times it's the baby birds, too. They're like, oh, I found food and I'm not leaving. So um, I've seen it a lot of times with the babies. 
And in that case, if you do seem to be getting a lot of, of, of fights, I guess, at the feeder, might be a time to think about adding another one. Add another one, spread them out, mm-hmm. things that one can't, you know, man- manipulate or monopolize all of them. It's very helpful. Okay. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. We start again in Clinton. Ann has called in today. Good morning, Ann. I would like to uh, carry on about the uh, uh, peanuts, the raw peanuts. Uh-huh. Is there any particular uh, feeder that they need to be in? And if we put them out, I've got just some that I'm sure is not going to be a whole season's worth, but uh, do we need to uh, crush them before we put them out or just what? Well, you can put them out where they're already shelled, which that is the most popular kind to put out. You have more birds that will eat them if they're shelled and make sure they're not salted. But you can put them in any kind of feeder. It's really common to put them in a wire mesh feeder so they pick and pull out one peanut at a time. But you can put them in a little open tray or mix them in with what you're feeding and they'll pull them out. So just, you know, if you put them out in something that's not covered, just make sure you don't put out too many at one time. Do we need to crush them, you know, break them up a little bit? No, ma'am. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, Ann, thanks for your call. Let's move on next. We've got uh, Kat from Fairhope, Alabama on the line. Good morning, Kat. Good morning. I'm really enjoying the show. Thank you. And the birds are interesting, but I have a pet question. Okay. We have an indoor-outdoor dog. He's about seven and a half, healthy, happy, eats everything, mushrooms, chews up wood, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. How often? I haven't seen any problems with him, but how often should I have him tested for worms? Good question. Of course, you mentioned mushrooms, and I I, I really advise uh, surveying your yard occasionally and, and take those out when they come up because there are some of the mushrooms that are poisonous and can cause seizures and even death. So uh, I I would advise not letting the dog. Of course, however. You know, if they're out there and you don't see them, the dog might eat them or tear them up at least. As far as uh, how often do you check him for worms, I'd say twice a year would be fine. Okay. And okay. we try on the mushrooms, but we're out in the country with two acres. Okay. <laughs> I understand. We try our best, and it's one of his favorite games of keep away. Now, one, one of the other things that I might mention that uh, a lot of the heartworm preventives also have intestinal worm prevention as well. So... If you're on a heartworm uh, medication that uh, helps to prevent uh, other intestinal worms, that's a plus. But still, I would have them checked. If you're on that, check them at least once a year. If not, I would say check them twice. Okay? All right. Kat, thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you have a question about your pet for Dr. Major or if you're uh, wanting to improve your backyard for both you and the birds. We've got Kathy Ross with Wild Birds Unlimited that will give you some suggestions on bird houses and bird feeders and that sort of thing. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Next up, we've got Debbie on the line from Memphis. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning. Go ahead. Uh, I live in, along the Green Line in um, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and it's a conservancy. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's, uh, the green grasses are just look gorgeous. We all love walking it daily, uh, and um, it goes across the Wolf River. 
uh, over the past two months, it's a migratory path where all kinds of all kinds of birds go to the Mississippi Flyway, and they come through here, and including the hummingbirds. Um, and it's like, there's also beavers that are in the uh, beaver ponds along the Wolf River, along the canals. And over the last two months, I've noticed um, dead birds on the Green Line. I've noticed the beavers are no longer. They just have a little family. They're not. There's no life in that that area that goes right over the bridge there along the that has the runoff along the uh, green line and i've noticed all the green grasses have turned dead they've all turned brown all the way up to the tree line on both sides of the green line and and they have been sprayed by some seriously strong pesticides that um it's it's concerning because i'm pretty sure it's something that's got Glyphosate in it, stays in the ground, stays in the root system, and breaks off uh, ongoing on, um, onto the pathway of the green line with the dead, the dead uh, rotted. Debbie, have you um, called anybody at the conservancy? You know, I, I have, and I haven't gotten a call back, and I've been so upset about it because I used to see the morning doves and the robins, and they would all forage there on the ground. It used to be green, and now it's dead. And um, I yeah. just, I just, I, I just don't know what to do because well, this is in our our neighborhood. Yeah, we need to look and see if they have a Facebook. Yeah, I would go ahead and start getting the word out different places and see if there's a Facebook page to post on and keep calling them. Yeah, you, something. Yeah, it sounds like something has happened. You need to find out. All right, uh, Debbie, thanks for the call. Uh, just if you would, as uh, let me suggest, just keep following up on something like that and just uh, eventually get the attention of, of the appropriate folks, I think. Uh, next, we've got uh, Julio in Jackson. Good morning. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. I am on the road, so I apologize if there's some road noise in the background, but I have a bird-related question and a pet-related question. Okay. Um, for the bird one, um, my mom really loves birds, and... I always kind of dreamed about the idea of building her an aviary, but I wondered if that is kind of cruel to birds and, and if there's if that's kind of a feasible thing. So I kind of wanted to get your, yeah. your thoughts on that. It, it's against the law, too, Jerry. Well, okay. So yeah. you could have an avi- aviary for uh, your uh, parrots, parakeets, and things like this. Thank but as far, yes. as far as the uh, native birds, it would be against the law to have an aviary for them. Okay. And then as far as my pet question, um, we recently rescued a cat, and we discovered that she has um, FIV. Mm-hmm. And so I've just kind of been doing a lot of research online, and there's kind of online communities of people that have FIV-positive cats. And, you know, they kind of all kind of write on there their different approaches to the cat's nutrition and stuff. And some of these FIV cats have lived up to 18 years. It's sure. not kind of officially scientific or anything. But I wondered if you guys had any advice on how to kind of properly care for an FIV-positive cat and sure. nutrition and some resources around that. First of all, uh, is the cat apparently healthy right now? It is, yeah. Okay. It's not uh, showing any kind of symptoms. And a lot of times we'll have an FIV-positive cat that, that will live a uh, complete, full life. Concurrent disease can also cause a problem and might be due to a lowered resistance. Uh, also, with this being an adoptive cat, uh, there is no vaccine at present for FIV. It's uh, not being produced now. But if it was a cat that was vaccinated when the vaccine was uh, available, 
certainly it could test positive uh, because of the vaccine. Now, I'd say maintain good health, good nutrition, and uh, keep other vaccinations up to date. And I feel like that uh, this cat can, unless there's a a different or another disease that uh, can occur, the resistance may be lowered uh, to that disease and could cause an issue. But uh, take good care of it. Also, the dental uh, issues, sometimes they're uh, more apt to have some uh, mouth lesions and or dental problems. So good luck with this cat. Sounds like you've got, got a good one, and hopefully she'll live a long and very good life. All right. Julio, thanks for your call. Let's uh, get one final call, uh, one more call in before our last break, and it goes to Jerry in Madison. Good morning, Jerry. You're on the air. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, I have a question about the hummingbirds that are migrating through the area right now. I know a lot of businesses and establishments that are have these big roll-up doors, and the hummingbirds are getting up inside the, you know, the, the, the building. Thing. They can't get out. and It's really kind of a real special problem in Rankin County with the fire station. Hmm. So I was just wanting to know what kind of, you know, other than closing the doors, what might be able you know, we might be able to do, and I'll hang up. Oh, you know, and in in most buildings, I tell people to use red to try to attract them out, but I bet you've got a lot of red in the fire (laughs) stations, don't you? Once a hummingbird gets inside, Uh it can be really difficult, but the best way to get any bird outside once it's gone in is to turn off all the lights, leave all the doors and windows open, try to confine them to one area, so close up all the doors to other rooms. And then I usually recommend putting a hummingbird right outside the door so that he sees the red and will want to go towards that feeder. feeder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that will help. And then sometimes they get so tired that you can put a broom up to their feet and they'll just clamp on and you can walk them straight out once they've been in a while. Okay. All right, Jerry, thanks for that call. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we've got Phil on the line from Gulfport with his uh, comment or question, and we have time for you to call in as well. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 Back to wrap up the program after this. Welcome back. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. We're visiting today with Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited. We've been talking about ways to spruce up your backyard to make it more attractive to you and a nicer spot for birds to visit with bird houses, bird feeders. Uh, and we've got Phil on the line from Gulfport. Good morning, Phil. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I know we're talking about birds today, but... I've got a pet question, and I kind of segue into it that uh, I've got a little uh, Maltese that looks like a plucked chicken. Um, <laughs> he has had some skin irritation. We recently took him to the vet. Uh, they've done steroids, and, and he's on a daily uh, prescription uh, drug. But the veterinarian recommended a Chinese concoction called Ear Heat Deep. Is anybody familiar with that? I'm not particularly. There are uh, some veterinarians, of course, that are uh, versed in that. One of the things, uh, what was the diagnosis? I guess that was... Uh, uh, ear, ear infection and also uh, some skin allergies. And what was the name of the concoction that he talked about? Ear Heat Deep. Okay. 
you know, uh, first of all, if the ears are the main situation, I think a culture and sensitivity would be wise uh, to see what kind of uh, infection is there. And uh, I have no knowledge of this medication, so I would suggest that uh, you either trust your veterinarian or seek out more information on that. I, I would say that I don't know as far as that particular uh, medication is concerned. Ex- it's quite expensive. Yes. It's $70 a bottle. Right. And uh, we're, has the culture and sensitivity been done? Um, when that would, I know she just did some microscopic. Right. I would suggest that... Uh, Actually, they take a sample and send it into the lab and see what kind of bacteria and what's the sensitivity to that was. That would help in in the treatment, I would think. So good luck to you. And certainly if that uh, medication works, let us know. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for your call, Phil. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Kathy Ross from Wild Birds Unlimited. Uh, so, Kathy, we've talked a lot about uh, the different types of uh, f- uh, seeds and, and food that you can feed birds, but it's also important uh, that they have water. Uh, is that something that you should go out and, uh, well, do, first of all, do most bird feeders come with a little maybe separate, uh, is it water bowl, I know, for pets, but do birds do that as well? Mostly not, because the seed and the shells would get in the water and contaminate it. And Normally, you feed water separately. Okay. And it's a great addition to your bird feeding because... Birds will find water unbelievably. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can use a bird bath. There are separate little contraptions that look like a bird feeder <laughs> that you can use for water. Um, and then you can add drippers to them, which that is the one thing I added to my bird bath that improved it tremendously because, number one, it puts fresh water in all the time. Mm-hmm. So you don't get stagnant water. You don't have to worry about mosquito larvae. The birds love the fresh water, and it keeps the algae down that grows in your bird bath. You still get some, but it's amazing how much difference it makes. So we usually suggest a bird bath, and if you have the location where you can install the dripper, it will improve it 100% on the birds that use it and how much how hard it is to maintain. That's interesting because to me, uh, the similar thing when you get cats and they have the thing that has the kind of the recycled water, and it seems to me that animals are attracted more to moving water than still water, and I guess maybe that's a survival instinct. I, I, mean, I don't know. It, it, I don't really know why they find it, but they do. I mean, it makes a huge difference in how quickly they will find it. Yeah. And in my bird bath, I mean, I can look out there and see the brown thrashers just. Love it. Love it. And they will splash and water will be going everywhere. And then at the same time, there'll be a chickadee walking out the edge of the dripper upside down, dripping, down, <laughs> drinking with the drips. And then I've looked out and in the heat of the summer, I've had a hawk just standing in there. He just stands there. It's like he's cooling his legs off. Um, so you can get a wide variety and it really can increase the number of birds that come to your yard. Okay. Uh, some calls to get to. We start again in Holly Springs. Karen has called in today. Good morning, Karen. Good morning. How are you? We're doing good. I have a question okay. about a dog. Uh, it's not my dog. It's my neighbor's dog. They put the dog out in the yard most of the time for him to run around. But my question is, why is it that this dog never barks? But just simply look at you. Okay. Well, he he's, never. No, it's a she. Well, it's a pit bull. Well, it's a she. Never barks. 
I have seen this dog for the last two, three months. Yeah. It never barks. A couple of things. Number one, she's really a watchdog, and she's not a barking dog. Anyway, that was a joke, actually. <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, some dogs just don't bark. Uh, I bet she can. Uh, chances are good that she can. But it's a plus. A lot of people really uh, have dogs that bark way too much. So I, I can't answer the question for this individual, but for some reason she doesn't bark. And uh, I, I would have to say that uh, probably she's okay, but I'll bet she can bark if the opportunity presents itself. All right. All right, Karen, thanks for the call. Yeah, I think it maybe just she has not had any opportunity where she thought a bark was necessary. Who knows? Yeah, y'all didn't think that was too good with the watchdog. <laughs> Dr. Major, I've learned a long time ago, you got to keep slinging them up against the wall and see what sticks. Some do, some don't. Uh, we've got Kirk on the line from Starkville. Good morning, Kirk. Good morning there. Go ahead. Two-part two comment. Uh, one about your hummingbirds. My cat really likes hummingbirds. It beats on the window whenever they're outside. <laughs> but uh, my real question is about a cat. She likes to chew on cardboard and paper. And the question is, is that a <clears throat> vitamin deficiency, lack of attention? Uh, what do you think? I could say all of the above, but I really think it gets to be a habit. And a lot of cats will destroy. Uh, just don't leave any checks lying around anything like that. But they will. <laughs> Uh, destroy paper. They seem to like to chew it. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a deficiency. It is probably more of a abnormal behavior in a way. But I, I do know that uh, I have a cat that if you have a letter or a piece of paper there, that, that cat will start chewing it. It's probably normal for that particular animal. But to tell you exactly why, I don't know. I don't think it's a deficiency, though. Okay, because she's a pretty sharp cat. She likes to sit on my keyboard while I'm trying to work. <laughs> in fact, she walked across the keyboard the other day and spelled cat. Well, you know, she, you better watch out. She may be she may be going to Amazon and ordering things. She just yeah, might show up at the house. She spelled cat with a K, but at least she <laughs> All right. Very good. Good to hear from you, Kirk. Thank Thanks you. for the phone call. And I would say that uh, my cat as well. I sometimes think he has part puppy in him because he will just tear up anything. And uh, that's the added benefit, I guess, of a uh, a scratching post is he gets to, you know, scratch on it, but then he gets to actually chew up the box that it comes in as well. So it's right. kind of a, a double thing for him. And cats love to have a box to play in. Mm-hmm. You can take a regular box, cut a couple of holes in it, big enough for the cat to go in and out, and they, they love it until they tear it up. <laughs> Um, so, Kathy, we talked a little bit uh, before we came on the air. Uh, some things, if the there are obviously some creature, creatures, cr- creatures that you might not want in your bird feeder, what are some ways that you can prevent things that you don't want from, from getting into the bird feeder? Our two biggest complaints are I don't want to feed the squirrels, mm-hmm. and then my feeders are on the ground a lot. For squirrels... Um, you, they do make things called squirrel baffles, and you can put them on the poles, but your pole has to be positioned correctly. Squirrels can normally jump about 10 feet across and 4 or 5 feet up, and I actually have squirrel baffles on my poles, and they work very, very well. Sometimes they don't. You're always going to have that one squirrel that's a problem, and um, you can tweak the height of it and try to fix that one problem. But the squirrel baffles work well. There is a bird seed that you can use. It's called safflower, and um, it does have a shell. 
but um, a lot of a lot of squirrels won't eat it. It's not a hundred percent, but nothing is with squirrels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can do different things to try to prevent. Them. <coughs> so the squirrel baffles are what we normally use, and the safflower. And we do have squirrel resistant feeders that do amazingly well jobs of keeping the squirrels off. Um, if you find your feeders on the ground, that's normally raccoons. And usually when people buy a feeder and they're looking at try to go ahead and get them the squirrel baffle, we say, well, why don't you go ahead and buy the raccoon baffle? Well, I don't have raccoons. I said, well, if you live in Mississippi, you're going to have <laughs> raccoons. You just may not know it yet. So um, there are different baffles. So if you go ahead and get one that takes care of raccoons, it can normally take care of squirrels, too. Okay. And then sometimes if you just don't have a problem with I have three or four squirrels, so I just let them eat. All right. You know, some people have 20 a day, and they don't, you know, they really prefer not to feed them. Um, So where is uh, your store located? We are located on I-55 North over in LaFleur's Gallery, which is where Piccadilly is. Okay. And we're open Monday through Saturday, and it's 10 to 6 Monday through Friday and 9 to 5 on Saturday. All right. Very good. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding provided in part by Wildlife Mississippi, a statewide organization celebrating its 20th year of conserving Mississippi's lands, waters, and wildlife. And from contributions from listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Michelle McAdoo. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Kathy Ross, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned. Up next at 10, it's MPB's Season Pass. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.